It's a painting by a man named G.F. Watts. A painting called Hope. And the description of this is that it, it pictures a woman who is a, against the world. And her eyes are banded so she, she cannot see ahead. In her hands is a harp. But if you notice, it's really hard to see, but if you notice, all the strings are broken except one. Except one in the center of her, of her harp. These broken strings, uh, evidently they represent the shattered expectations and bitter disappointments of life that this woman has experienced. But there's one last unbroken string, and this is called the, the string of hope. She strikes that string, says the description, and a, a glorious melody floats out over the world and it fills her dark skies with, with stars. One commentator said about this painting, he says, The artist painted a great truth. Even when all else is gone, you can still have hope. As I thought about that statement, that even when all else is gone, you can still have hope, I thought, that is true. Hope makes an impact. Hope gives you something to hold on to. But as I thought about this painting, and I thought about that statement, I, I asked the question, is that last string on your harp, that string that you call hope, or the artist called hope, is that string made of the same substance that all the other strings were made of? The ones that broke. Is it made of the same stuff? Because if it's made of the same stuff and all the other hopes broke and other things, disappointments of life, what, what hope is there really in that? What guarantee is there that that one last string will last? Today, we live in a world where there are all kinds of strings of hope that people try to play in their lives. And sometimes these strings are not bad in and of themselves. They're, they're good things. They're meant to be used and enjoyed but do they really provide a string of hope that is of a different substance? One, does not, one that doesn't break like other strings. One that is really not meant to be the center string of hope in your life. Because their strings are made up of this worldly matter. But see, what you want stringed on the center of your harp is something that is of a different substance. Something that is not of this world. I want to suggest to you this morning that that string of hope that you need to play on your harp, which is your life, is the hope of Jesus Christ. It's a different hope. It's a hope made of a, a different substance. Because it's a hope... That is in God. Even when we look at the term hope in the New Testament, it is not used typically of how we think the term hope is to be used. 
When you and I uh, think of hope, we say something like this. Will, will the Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year? Or more accurately, will the Cowboys make the playoffs this year? And then, then your friend responds with something, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. In other words, as we typically use hope in our culture, it's, it's something we desire to happen in the future. However, we are uncertain of it actually attaining it. And that's not at all the way. In no way is the word hope used in the New Testament that way. Matter of fact, if you look at 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, verse 13, he says, For fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is not some kind of, some dra- vague dreaminess of hope. That is not a, a wishful thinking. It's not a, I, I hope this comes about. The apostle saying, fix your hope on this. It's because it's certain. It's reality. See, biblical hope is this. Biblical hope is a deep conviction, a strong confidence, and an eager expectation that something will occur in the future. Let me read that again to you. It's a it's a deep conviction, a a strong confidence, a eager expectation that something will happen in the future. And this is the strong confidence is rooted not in the person who holds that hope, but in the substance of that hope. See, that's what makes biblical hope sure because of who the hope is in. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. So I want to answer for you today is how do we who live in a world with so many competing hopes that so many different hopes that want to be the the string of hope on your harp of life. How do we center our hopes on the kind of hope, the, the, the quality of hope that lasts, that is Jesus Christ? How do we do that? And I want to give you a few things to show you that this morning. The first is we find this in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Because I think the first thing is it's important that we understand the scope of the believer's hope. This book that Peter writes, his first epistle, is written to a people that are believers who are in the area of Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. And these people were, were facing persecution. They were facing trials in their life, and it, it appeared that these persecutions were just going to continue to mount. And they're going to particularly amount as they would come down from the emperor of Rome himself. And Peter, seeing this happens, he, he writes to encourage these people. To help them to stand firm in their hope. Stand firm in their faith. And so he first helps them to understand the scope of their hope in Christ. Look what it says here in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the reason that we can have such confidence in our biblical hope is because of its originator, because of the source of the hope, because who it is rooted in. It's it's rooted in our God, the one true God, 
the, our creator God, the God who is all wise, the God who is all powerful, the God who knows all things, the God who is sovereign and control over all things. That's where our hope is rooted. It's in God. And God alone, and he's the originator, he's the one who has accomplished and who has given us what Peter calls a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. And this great God was moved to do it by a great mercy. Look at that, it says there. Who according to his great mercy, the mention of mercy should, should cause us to think of, of our condition before God. That is, we were miserable sinners. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, says Paul in Ephesians. We were children of wrath. We were far from God. We were at enmity with God. That was our condition. But in God's mercy, He does something about our condition. He doesn't respond to what our condition deserves but instead, he shows compassion on us. He, did not, he does not deal with us according to what our condition warrants, but instead has mercy and withholds the wrath that we deserve. When I think of mercy, I think of the story of a mother who once approached Napoleon, who was seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied to her that the young man has committed a certain offense twice and injustice demanded that he have death. The mother says, but I don't ask for justice. She says, I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon said. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it and mercy is all I ask. Well, then, Napoleon said, mercy you shall have. See, what you and I, we did not deserve mercy. We deserved wrath. But God, in his mercy, he withholds his wrath, though our condition warrants it. And he does something different. He has compassion on us. And he actually seeks to change our condition. Look what it says there. He has caused us to be born again. That is out of his mercy, according to his mercy. He takes us from a, a pitiful condition of sin, of deadness to God, deadness spiritually. And he causes us to be born again. That's that term of what we use of regeneration, of new birth. It means that before Christ and before his mercy, we were dead spiritually. We had no spiritual life within us because God did not reside in us. But God in His mercy and through the payment of Jesus Christ, He provides mercy for us and He moves us from this dead condition, those who have faith in Christ, and He places us and He gives us new birth. We're, we were once born physically and then we become born again spiritually. And He does that because of His Mercy on us. His great mercy. This term born again is not a, a popular one. 
Matter of fact, I remember back in my days when I was working at a golf course, and I used to work in the back room of a golf course, and I'd clean clubs, and I'd load golf courts, and hope I get a tip, and those kind of things. I remember this one time, a friend of mine who I was working with, he just started speaking bad about this other guy, and then he comes out and he says, oh, he's one of those born-again Christians. And I stopped and I said, I'm one of those born-again Christians. As I'm thinking in my head, I don't remember exactly how I responded to him. I was thinking, there is no other kind of Christian. And there isn't. You can call yourself a Christian. You can go to the church. But if you haven't been born again by the mercy of God, there's no other kind of Christian. And you don't have hope. Some of you right now are worrying, well, am I born again? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you trust in Him alone, then you are. But if you're trusting and going to church, you're trusting because your parents were Christians or you said some kind of prayer, you better examine it. But it's by His mercies, according to His mercy, that we are born again. And we are born again. Look what he says here. We are born again that, that those who have no hope. Matter of fact, Paul put it this way. We're born again to a living hope. But look how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And it's in your, in your sheet. It's up here. It says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, that is, without Christ, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In reality, without Christ in your life, Scripture says, you have no hope. All other hopes outside of Jesus Christ are ultimately dead. They have no real life to them. Because they don't have eternal life. It has an end. So why hope in something that's going to die? Peter says here, you have a living hope you've been born again to. That is through what Peter calls a living hope. It's, it's living because we were once dead spiritually, but now we are alive. It's a, it's a living hope because... One day, physically, we're going to die, but it's living because one day we're going to experience a glorified, resurrected body for eternity. It, it's, a, it's a living hope because unlike all the other hopes in the world that ultimately that will decay and be destroyed and will die here and in this world, our hope in Christ goes on for eternity. Therefore, it's living. It's a hope that will never Break. It's a string of hope in the heart of your life that is of a different substance that will never break. But will go on. Look at the quality of this hope. He says, hear this. You've been saved to a living hope to obtain an inheritance. I want you to notice this here, first of all. That it, Paul now calls this living hope. He now refers to it as an inheritance. And, and, and I like this because... We're not just have this mystical longing for something that's going to happen, but we have something of substance in our hope. There's an inheritance to it. 
It's just not a wishfulness. It's, it's concrete. Now, while we experience the hope of, of, of the grace of God's forgiveness now, uh, uh, we, uh, we experience now a new identity in Christ, and we experience the presence of, of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those are parts of our hope that we experience now. There, there is an inheritance to this hope. There's, a, there's an object to this hope who is Christ, but there's also an object that is the, the substance that goes with being in Christ. It includes things like this, that as we await our inheritance, we wait a day when we will experience the complete eradication of sin in our lives. Anybody hope for that? There's a day where we hope to wait and receive, as we already mentioned, a glorified body. And not just any body, but a body that will be fashioned in the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. Anybody hope for that? Look forward to that. Amen. We wait a day when we'll be reunited with those loved ones who have preceded us to death in Christ. Anybody hoping that? I do. We await a day when God will not only fashion new bodies, but He will take this world and He will fashion a new heaven and a new earth without the curse in it. Anybody awaits or did anyone long for that hope? Amen. We await a day when we will fully experience what mankind was originally created to experience, and that is perfect communion with our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, the object of our hope. Anybody want to hope in that? Amen. That's what our inheritance is. Now look how Peter describes the quality of our inheritance. Now this reminds me, in, in growing up in December, um, I'm probably like a lot of the other kids and things, and I, I used to love, I always looked hopefully to the, the gifts that you would get. And, and I couldn't wait to open the gifts. matter of fact, I think we made up some kind of day that was like St. Nicholas Day where we got to open one gift on like the 7th of December. I think Mom just made that up for us. And then, then we had a day, obviously the day before Christmas, you could open like one gift or get something out of your, uh, what do you call those things that hang down from the chimney? I can't, I just went blank. Those stockings, I was going to call it a sock, uh, the stockings. I see, I need your help here. And then, but not only that, but I look forward to, especially growing up, because we used to get up and we used to open gifts at my house, and then we would get and we would go over to my aunt's house, and all my aunts and uncles would come, and you just look forward to those gifts. But you know, I got some of those gifts. Matter of fact, one gift I got was from an uncle. And he was single, so you know this is not, this is already bad. <laughs> I remember this particular year, we opened it up, and all the cousins are sitting around. We unwrapped Uncle Jack's gift. Uncle Jack, I love him. And we open it up, and it's tube socks. <laughs> what kind of hope is that? Tube socks. And guess what? Those tube socks, not only were they ugly, all right, you know the kind you pull them up to here, those kind, you know, they wore out. You know what every one of those gifts that I hoped in and longed for and looked forward to, they wear out. They get decayed, they get destroyed. But look at the inheritance that God has given us. Look how he describes it. He says it's imperishable, 
unlike the things of the world. It will not decay or rot. It will never die. It's untouched by death. It's, it's death-proof. It's also undefiled, which describes the things that are unstained or unpolluted. Our inheritance, Christ, is, is, is not stained by evil. It's sin-proof. It will not fade away, unlike flowers that wither and dry up and go away. Our inheritance in Christ is unpaired by time. Time won't affect it. Time won't take its brilliance and its magnificence away. That, that is, when we receive it, the brilliance of that inheritance will continue for all eternity. It's time-proof. My question to you is, does the, is what your hope centered on, the string of the life of your, of your, the harp of your life, is, is it a hope that has this kind of substance, that has this kind of quality? Because if it doesn't, it shouldn't be the central hope of your life. You need to adjust the strings. You need to put the string of the living hope center in your life. But not only this. Not only is it the quality good, but look, look at the, the security. Look what it says here. To obtain an inheritance which is reserved in heaven for you. That is, our inheritance is in a heavenly bank where it is being reserved for you and continues to be reserved. Literally, the, the Greek grammarians call this verb reserved a, a present tense verb which expresses a past activity which con, with continuing results. So at some point, your inheritance was reserved, and guess what? It has that reservation, that continuing result, all the way, all the way into re- eternity. It's secure for you. I remember making a reservation one time. I think it was on our honeymoon that I made this reservation for a car. And I wanted a particular size, okay, because I'm not your average size guy, okay? And so I get there, we arrive, and we arrived in Florida, and we get there, and uh, I said, yes, I have this car reserved, and uh, this, is, this is what I wanted. And they, and they said, well, we don't have it. I said, well, I reserved it. Well, we don't have it. And I said, well, I reserved it. Well, we don't have it. Well, what's a reservation then, okay? And what I ended up getting is not the car that fit me, but a Ford Malibu. Now, I'm not against any Ford Malibus, if that's what you got, but I'm six foot five, over 200 pounds, and a Ford Malibu isn't what I reserved. We have a reservation in the heavenly bank that we're going to get what was reserved for us. Amen? It's not going to be a Ford Malibu. You imagine the encouragement that this would have been? You imagine the encouragement that this would have been to a people who were facing persecution for their faith physically, and they're thinking in their minds, and they're, as they're hearing this, they're realizing, yes. I may be suffering right now, but I have a reservation of the inheritance of Christ in heaven for all eternity. And get this, not only is your inheritance protected, look at verse 5. All right, here's where you get real excited, all right? Not only is your inheritance protected, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That is through faith. You receive this protection. This, this word protection is shielded or guarded. And again, the tense reveals that it's, you are constantly being protected. It was, a, it was a military term in the Greek. It was, it was used to refer to a garrison within a city. It was an inner area of protection. There was outer walls and there was an inner area of protection. And the picture is this. That is, there's this garrison 
And though the city walls are taken, the garrison is not. Though the evil forces are are trying to get their way in, there is a shield and there is a guard that is constantly protecting and keeping you safe in the garrison. And I think when the, the, the readers would have originally read this, they would have understood that no matter how much worldly persecution, no matter how much difficulty comes, they are being protected by an enormously powerful protector, and that is God himself. That he is the one who has personally taken an interest in you and I who are in Christ, who have received that through faith, and that he's protecting us. And that we are guaranteed to get to that inheritance in heaven someday because he's guarding us. He's our protector. And he, not us, we're not going to get ourselves there. But through his protection, he's going to get us there. I don't know about you, but that's security, is it not? Our inheritance is protected, and you personally are guarded by the power of God. That doesn't mean you won't, pers- you won't feel persecution, you won't feel distress, but your souls have been saved, and he's going to guard you and protect you and give you that new body someday that's guaranteed by his protection, your shield, your guard. That's where you say amen. That's something to get excited about. That's a sure security. That's why our hope is sure. So, there's the scope of our hope. But here's the real question. So, Matt, I'm convinced. I want that to be the center string of the harp of my life. I want to, I want to allow that hope to be the hope that I play melodious music in my life. But, Matt, I struggle sometimes of, of keeping that string straight and in the center of my life. So, so how do I do that? I'm going to just give you some seven things here real quick, real quick. I want to give you seven things to utilize the hope in Christ now. And the first is this. You find it in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Look at it there with me. He says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Literally, this means to gird the loins uh, of your mind. The imagery behind this is to gird the loins of your mind. It's, it's the picture of a man who has robes on, Okay. And this is in that time period. And they're wearing robes, and he's like, he's got to get ready for something. And so to get ready, he girds up his skirts and his loins, and he tucks them in his belt. I know that doesn't sound like a very manly thing. I just had to stop because I saw you laughing over there, all right? But it is, okay? You have to be manly to wear skirts, by the way. You have to be exceptionally manly to do that. Uh, but they would gird them up, and they would tuck them in there, and they would be ready. And in essence, that's what he's saying here. The idea is, hey, pull your thoughts together. Discipline your mind, or I like to say, get your mind right. Get it focused on the things that need to be focused on. Then he says this, keep sober in spirit, or, or be self-controlled. In essence, uh, the, the term sober is used because as alcohol influences you. He's saying, hey, don't let other things influence your thinking. Be disciplined. In other words, get serious. And here's how I I put these two together. Is Christ your Lord and your Savior? Is He? Is He? If He is, if He's your Lord and the Savior of your life, get serious about it. Get your mind right. Quit trying to play other strings of hope in your life. If He's your Lord and your Savior... Get your mind right. Play that string. Get serious about Christ. And then do this. 
fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get your mind right. Get serious. And then fix your hope. Set your hope on Christ and Christ alone. Quit trying to play those other strings. Quit it. Second thing here is, is this. It says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. And that is choosing to rejoice in the hope you have in Christ. Look at this. Verse, one, or verse 6 of chapter 1 it says, In this, that is, in the basis, in the motive, in the means, in the quality, in the security of living hope that was all just talked about there in verses 3, verse 5, he says this, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He's saying, hey, you, you, you suffer various trials, but guess what? In this you rejoice. And here's my exhortation to you. If you want to you uh, get a, a, a greater grasp, a better grasp on the hope in your life that you have in Christ, you need to do as Romans 5, 2 says, exult in the hope of the glory of God. Boast in it. Sing of it. Rejoice in it. Or as Colossians 3.16 says, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's why we come here in this morning's. To come and to rejoice in the hope, to exult in the hope that we have in the glory of God. I love how one pastor put it, John Ortberg. He said this in one of his sermons. He says, people have not gathered together for the past 2,000 years to say the stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. They have not gathered to say that dollar has risen. It has risen indeed. Or the employment rate has risen. Or the gross domestic product has risen. Or General Motors has risen. Or the value of a 401k has risen. Here's the one hope that has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia of difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, painship, hardship, death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's what we sing about. That's what we rejoice about. And that builds up our hope. Amen? The third thing. Persevering through trials as you recall the rewards of this hope. Look at with me to verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. That is, these trials will not last forever. They won't. Then he says this. Because he, he says this. He says, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that... See, God doesn't waste our trials. Even though we face them, God has a purpose in them. And he says this, so that uh, the proof of your faith, that is, the evidence or the reality of your faith, that is, as you go through trials and you continue to believe and you continue to have faith and you, you begin to go, I, I'm, I'm struggling here in life, but you know what? I still trust in Christ. And you know what that does? It brings about assurance in your life. You go, I, I really am born again. This is real in my life. And, and as you're assured of your salvation, guess what else happens? Your joy. And I'm not talking about happiness, but your joy, your settledness that man, I'm, Christ is in me. That, that grows. And then as your joy grows, guess what else grows? Your hope. And you begin to play that string of hope stronger. Because, see, God doesn't waste our trials. He builds our faith up in those trials. He actually purifies. He, he weeds out those impurities that are mixed up in our faith, and he makes it stronger. 
And get this, not, that's not it. You thought, oh, that was cool, but that's not it. Because look at this. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I personally take this, that God will not forget our faith in the midst of our trials. That there will be a day when I believe he will turn praise and honor and glory over to us, and he will say, I saw your faith. I saw your faith. I know you tried and you, you struggled and you were, you were persecuted, but I saw your faith. And as we experience that praise and that glory and that honor, we'll just turn it right back to him because he and his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope. Doesn't that give you hope even though you're, you're facing difficulties in your life now? Get this though. Not only that, but here's another place to, to raise up the hope in your life. It's in pursuing Christ like living now. It says this in 1 Peter 4. It falls right on the heels of this commandment to set your mind on the hope to come. And it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which yours and your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Hope is not divorced from behavior. Matter of fact, it's hope that changes our behavior. And in reality, I believe that the way we act reveals where our hope is. Because if your way you act is not easily recognizable with the fruit of Jesus Christ in your life, that tells me your hope's not in Christ. It tells me that you're being distracted by other strings which actually will just fall off your harp. Your hope will strengthen when you pursue Christ and you seek to, by His power to live in a Christ-like way. When you see the fruit of Christ be produced in your life, that will show again the evidence of your new birth and it will increase your hope that you have a living hope. A fifth thing, well, another way to spur your hope, it's sharing your living hope in Christ with the hopeless. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says this, Therefore, having such a hope, and they just got done speaking of the unfading glory of the new covenant, that is the new covenant, the, what Christ accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says this, We use great boldness in our speech. Therefore, having such a hope, we're bold in our speech. We have such a marvelous hope that we want to share it boldly with others. 1 Peter uh, 3.15 says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Let me share you something. When you get past the fear of, of sharing your hope with, with the hopeless, when you get past that and you allow God to strengthen you and give you the courage to share that hope with someone else, and then you walk away, let me tell you from experience, when you walk away having shared that, there's a peace and there's a joy and there's a settleness and there's a hope that says, you know what? I, I just got to share the gospel that can change someone's life with someone. And then you want to know what's even cooler is when sometimes that when you share that hope and, and you just happen to be blessed by God that you later find out that that person actually believed in that. You want to know what happens to your hope in Christ? It just wells up in your heart. And you say, this is real. This stuff about Jesus is real. And it bowls your hope. It makes you stronger. Share your hope with the hopeless. 
It will help you get a better grasp and help you play that string of hope in your life with great, wonderful music. And there's another one. It says, looking for the return of Christ. I'm not asking you to set dates. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm just telling you, anticipate. Other than before a final exam, I want you to anticipate the return of Christ. That's for you all, okay? It says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, where Titus just got done talking about not pursuing worldly desires. He says this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What we look forward to, we hope in. And we ought to be looking forward to the return of Christ. That ought to be on our radar. Looking for Him. Longing for Him. And last, loving and depending on the person of Christ. Look how Paul describes, or Peter describes these people. And though you have not seen Him, they haven't seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but you believe in Him. They, they had faith for salvation, but I think they're also depending upon Him and trusting in Him. You greatly rejoice. Look at this. As a result of this loving Him, as a result of this believing in Him, you greatly with, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That is, they're seeing, as, they're, as they put their faith in Christ, they're seeing salvation active in their lives. They're seeing the fruits of it active in their lives. My exhortation to you is that you make loving Christ and depending upon Him and upon His person preeminent in your life. When my Elizabeth goes away for a few days and takes the kids, I enjoy it for a little while. I enjoy the fact that I can sit down and watch a, a TV program without one of them interrupting me, okay? That I can watch a football game without someone diving on top of me, Okay? That I can fall asleep in a chair and no one will be playing with my face, okay? I look forward to that. But you know how long that lasts? About one day. After that day, I love my wife. I depend upon my wife, all right? You all know that. And so I start looking out at windows like, man, when are they going to get back? All right, when I start seeing uh, greenish-blue vans that are Dodges and I see them going down the street, it's like, is that them? Is that them? And I expectantly and hopefully are waiting for their return. And that's my exhortation to you. As you seek to love Christ more, to know Him as a person, to spend time with Him, to listen to Him, to share your burdens with Him, you will hope for Him more. You will long for Him more. And you will begin to play that living hope string on the harp of your life and you'll, you'll play it and you'll, you'll play melodious music that, that brings light to a, the dark world that you're living in. I began with a picture. And the picture I began with was hope. But this is the picture I'm going to end with. Because this is empty, because Christ died on the cross for us, left that tomb empty, guaranteeing for us a resurrection of our bodies. I'm going to call this picture a living hope. May that encourage you. May that move you to play the string of hope, the living hope, Jesus Christ.
May you make that the center string of your life. Let's bow our heads. The moment Todd is going to lead us in a song where we can rejoice in this hope. And then Grant's going to come and he's going to lead us in communion. And other times remember the days when we were without hope, but now because of the sacrifice of Christ, we are with hope. So this is an opportunity for us to worship and bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As your heads are bowed, I don't know where your hope is, and if you need help, I encourage you to come and talk to someone or talk to one of the guys in the back or myself or any other pastor or elder or deacon or someone about where you're struggling. If there's someone here today who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, you're without hope. And my exhortation to you is that you might repent and put your faith and your trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. Dear God, we come to you this morning and we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you how your word just lays it out there for us. It reminds us of who our hope is sourced in. It reminds us what moved you, your great mercy. Lord, it it reminds us of how this even occurred, how it happened that we could actually have this substance of hope in our life through the new birth and through the payment and resurrection of Christ. It also reminds us, Lord, of, Lord, of, of the security of this hope as well. And Lord, we praise you for that truth. That you put that there for us to be encouraged and to build us up. Lord, we thank you for loving us that way. And Lord, I pray for this church here, this body. I pray, Lord, that you will help all of us. That we will seek to make Christ, our living hope, the center string of our lives. And you will empower us and enable us to play that string of hope through all our time here on this earth. So, Lord, that we might glorify you in all that we do. And now, Lord, we come. We want to just take some time to worship you and to rejoice in the hope that we have in you. And all God's people said,